Is he worthy? Is he worthy of all blessing and honor and glory? Is he worthy of our worship? I am reminded in the book of the Revelation written by the Apostle John on the Isle of Patmos, the scroll is perplexed over. Who's going to open this scroll? The book of the Revelation says, I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaim with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to, and to break its seals? Who is worthy? And heaven was searched, and no one in heaven or earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to even look on it. And John the Revelator says, I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look on it. One of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered. So he can open the scrolls and its seven seals. Is he worthy of worship? Amen. If you will, I'll ask you if you'll stand with me. Is the reading, the reading of the word of the Lord today. And I'm going to ask this question in repetition. Is Jesus worthy of our worship? Is he worthy of all of our worship, all of our praise, all of our adoration, all of our time? Reading from Deuteronomy chapter 32, I'll be reading from these first few verses today. Today's sermon, Is He Worthy of Worship? I would like for us to look at this blessing of a song from the hand of Moses. Sometimes your Bible would inscribe this as the song of Moses. Beginning at verse 1. Give ear, O heavens, and I will speak. And let the earth hear the words of my mouth. May my teaching drop as the rain, my speech distill as the dew, like gentle rain upon the tender grass. But then like showers upon the herb, for I will proclaim the name of the Lord. I will ascribe greatness to our God. The rock... His work is perfect, for all of His ways are justice. He is a God of faithfulness, and He is without iniquity. Just and upright is He. Father, we ask that You would bless this reading. And Father, that we would give attention to the contents of this song that so display the character and nature of God. It is not heavy on just the love of God, but it is also on the eternal justice and judgment and righteousness of the great triune God that we worship. I pray, God, as we continue through this book, you will speak to us as like John on the Isle of Patmos said, let the church hear what the Spirit says. May we not only hear, but we also enact it in our life and live it out. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, today is one of those days I hope that you brought your Bible with you. We're going to walk through um, a few of these verses today and we'll see where the Lord leads. And by the way, if you've read ahead, you'll know that there's 52 verses in the book of Deuteronomy. 
And so, will I expound on all 52 of those verses today? Um, we'll see how the Lord leads, okay? And so, we're going to walk through the chapter regardless, but there's a few things that I want to highlight. And uh, again, let me ask you this, because it is the title of the sermon, and I want you to, I want you to respond in a worshipful way and like you mean it, okay? Is he worthy of worship? Amen. This chapter deals with the perfect nature of God. It deals with the God that we serve whose inclination is to grant salvation and then to protect His people. Because this chapter is written much like a psalm and it is reminiscent of a song, we are going to examine it together as if we are examining that genre of literature. We're going to examine it together. We're going to highlight the blessings of God. We're going to highlight the character of God. We're, listen, we're going into a Thanksgiving season. And by the way, for a child of God, Thanksgiving is not just one time that we put on the calendar. Thanksgiving, is, it should be a perpetual time in our life where we give thanks to the good God that we serve who granted us salvation. But we're going to examine some of those blessings today. We're going to examine some things, so, uh, what it looks like to be out of the will of God or to be contrary to the ways of, of the Lord. So if you've been tracking so far up to this point, Moses has given commands for the people to follow. He's been giving them blessings to consider, trying to remind them where he has brought them from and where he is about to take them. And if you, if you want it to go well with you, if you, want it, if, you, if you want your life to prosper spiritually speaking, not monetarily or not the things that we acquire in life, but if you want your life to prosper in Jesus, pursue Him. Pursue Him with all that you have. Jesus gave two commandments. You know what they were? What did He, what did he give? To love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, everything with all of your being. Then what does he say? What does he say then? Love your neighbor as yourself. If I want it to go well with me, I'm going to pursue the Lord Jesus with all that I have. And you know what? I'm going to love all my brothers and sisters as I love on the Lord, as I love Christ. His laws and His commands, they are not burdensome. They are in place, number one, for God's glory, and then they are your benefit. It will go well with you to pursue Jesus with all that you have. Listen to the words of Jesus as He speaks in reference to the commands of God and to the weary soul. Has your soul ever been, you know, your spirit ever been so weary that you didn't know where to go? Have you ever been so overwhelmed with burden and care that you, you could hardly form the words to pray? Have you ever been there? What does Jesus say? Are you labored with heavy burden and the heavy burden of sin, self-righteousness? Maybe you're trying to please God in your own power. Are you tired of being righteous? or self-righteous in your own way and in your own... It's tiresome, I know. To try to please God on our own power without the work of the Holy Spirit, it is tiresome and it is futile. But Jesus says this, hopefully you know this, from Matthew 11, verse 28 through 30. Jesus says this, Come to me, all who labor 
and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Just so we remember the words that we read from Deuteronomy today, the words that we've examined as we've looked through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and now Deuteronomy. These are words that were written to Hebrew people, uh, Hebrew-speaking people. Not, uh, not everything that we read in the law is applicable to us today because of the grace of Jesus. Listen, I don't have to worry about the Canaanites overtaking me or America. I don't have to worry about those, those things, those laws, certain laws that were given because of the grace of Jesus. But there is one constant through it all. The constant that never changes is the character of God. The character of nature and nature of God never changes. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His character and His nature does not change. And Jesus said, if you want to see the Father, look at me. If you want to see the Father, if you want to see what God, how God is, look at me. But here's Moses giving this beautiful song about the King of all creation. He says, give ear, O heavens. Another way of Another way of, of saying, pay attention, uh, heaven and earth is my witness, as God is my witness. O heavens, and I will speak, and let the earth hear my, the words of my mouth. May my teachings drop as rain, speech distill as dew, like gentle rain upon the tender grass, and like showers upon the herb. Now, Moses is giving a proclamation, he's giving a song, and he wants his people to know it, eternal, internalize it. He is trying to teach them something about the character and nature of God, something that God has taught him as a prophet. So, it could be framed as this, that he is a faithful teacher, prophet, who is teaching others who may teach others also. Does that sound familiar? That is the core, the crux of discipleship and disciple-making. Teach, teach others who might be able to teach others also. The words that Moses shares. He shares from God's Word. It is like a refreshing rain that quenches a dry soul. May our speech be like a cool dew on the morning grass, like showers that fall on the crops when they thirst for water, when they, when they are in, in, in a drought and they thirst for water. Not only should we hear the words of the Lord and trust the word of the Lord, we should be ready to receive the word of the Lord when our souls are athirst. And I don't know about you, but I find I am thirsty for God's Word often. Because I've learned very quickly that the ways of this world offers no remedy when my soul is dry. 
This is a, a wonder, it's a great picture though. It's a great visual. I want, you to, I want you to kind of picture this visual. Because it doesn't matter if you need a lot or a little from God's Word. It doesn't matter if you need a shower. It doesn't matter if you need a drizzling. It doesn't matter if you need a little dew on the soul. Or if you just need to be showered. Because God's Word is always perfect always perfect have you ever had those moments when you're working through something and you open God's Word and you and you read God's Word and and it floods your soul like it's a refresher it gives you refreshing look at verse 3 it says I will proclaim the name of the Lord I will ascribe greatness to our God Moses is God's prophet to the people and he will proclaim what God has said to his people and, and, I, and I have underlined this, this portion, made a note, ascribe greatness to our God. If preachers and pastors and teachers across this land, across the world, would adhere to this principle, we would bypass a lot of garbage that is spewing from our churches today. This idea of getting it my way, every way, and in all ways is from the pit of hell. If we would be more consumed when the, with the person of Jesus and less about ourselves, we would see revival break out in this land like no other time in history. It really is that simple. I don't know. There's no explanation. There's no dissertation that, that can be ascribed to this. It really is that simple. Ascribe the greatness to God. What did John the baptizer say about himself in light of Messiah? What did he say? He said, I must decrease so that he might increase. We would do well to take note. Moses says, the rock his, his work is perfect. For all his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness, and he is without iniquity. What does the Bible say of Jesus? That he had no deceit in his mouth, no, no guile, the King James says, no deceit found in him. He is just and upright is he. And so we would say, upon the rock, if your translation looks like mine, that particular word for rock has been translated almost in a superlative way. It is capital as it has been. It's capitalized. The translators knew something. He was talking about the God of the universe, that he is the eternal solid rock of stability, the unwavering factor in the cosmos. He does not change. He is the same, as I said earlier, and as the Bible proclaims loudly, He is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and all of His ways are just. There will not be a single person who has ever gasped a breath of air who will stand before the King of Kings, who will point at Him and accuse God of being unjust. He is good, He is faithful, without sin, He is just, and he is upright. Nothing 
that God has promised will fail and sending his son into the world gives the right testimony to all of his characteristics. So now, dealing with humanity from Eden to what we call the eschaton or the coming of Jesus to eternity, all of his motives are pure and right and just and loving. But contrary to God's pure righteousness is the broken human nature. And it rears its ugly head in our lives very often, doesn't it? We battle with the flesh every day. We battle with this thing called flesh every day where Jesus says that the spirit is willing but the flesh is weak. Look at verse 5. They, who's they? They have dealt corruptly with him. They are no longer his children because they are blemished. They are a crooked and twisted generation. He's dressing his own people. Not all deal in justice. Not all deal in righteousness. Some are corrupt. There are those who have chased after idols and they will continue to chase after idols. Now let me say something to the child of God in Christ Jesus here this morning. You're in Jesus. You have been sealed by the Holy Spirit. You have been regenerate. You have been redeemed. You have been born again. You've been born from anew. You've been born from above. However you want to word that. There is no reason, no logical reason for a person who has been redeemed by Jesus Christ to chase after the things of this world. Why? Because salvation is just too sweet to ride on the coattails of this fallen world. Here's the kicker. A person who is abiding or who is living in Jesus Christ, they will not chase after the ways of the world, at least perpetually. God will woo them and call them back into himself. The message here from the song is this, and I like the words of R.C. Sproul here, who says, He is God and you are not. He is pure eternally and you are not. Look at verse 6. He says, And you thus repay the Lord, you foolish and senseless people. It is, is not He, your Father, who created you, who made you and established you. He brought you out of Egypt by His mighty hand. He's the one who set you where you are today. There is a colloquial way of saying this, by the way, this, this kind of street talk maybe. The Lord has done so much for you, and this is how you repay Him? This is how you repay all that God has done? Jesus Christ has saved you, and you repay Him by not following Him? You repay Him by chasing idols? You repay Him by putting other things before Him? You put everything before Him? You chase the world? You have turned your back on God? You have let your children fall to the wayside? You have let your children be seduced by idols. You have let children who are in your home and under your care be seduced by everything in the world. 
God has called you to a higher standard. What is the higher standard? It is His standard. But you remember the days of old, don't you? Consider the years of many generations. Ask your father. He will show you your elders and, and they will tell you. When the Most High, listen, I don't want you to go back, rewind in history. How faithful God is. He is a God who is faithful. And the Most High, He gave you the nations, their inheritance. He divided mankind. He fixed the borders of the people according to the numbers of the sons of God. Remember. I mean, you were, you've heard of the tales. You've heard how our fathers walked through the Red Sea on dry, dusty ground. So dry that the dust was, was, was in, entering their nostrils and their eyes. So dry because the work of God was so profound that the very ground in the Red Sea was dusty and dry. It is your place, church, to know the history of your people. It will do you well to benefit, to know how God has moved mightily amongst you. The history of the world itself hinges now, the verses we have read historically, it hinges on what transpires out of Israel. Namely, that the one and only unique Son of God would rise up from, quote-unquote, the peoples according to the numbers of the sons of God. Here's an exercise. You know, I'm not going to leave you without thinking about something or to put something into practice. Today, before the day's over, I challenge you. Call someone on the phone. Talk to somebody before you leave. What I want you to do is ask someone how God has moved mightily in their life. Just phrase it simple. How's God been working? Before you leave today or before the sun goes down or before you go to bed, call somebody on the phone. Find somebody in the church before you leave. How has God been at work in your life? For our fathers, we would say, be responsible Demonstrate to your children what following Jesus looks like. And look how God has moved in history to bring about His purposes. He says this, ask your father, he will show you. Ask your elders, they will tell you. It will do us well to invest in one another's life to find out just what God is up to. What is God doing? How has God moved in the history of your life, in the history of His church? The Lord's portion is with His people. Jacob is allotted heritage. He continues on telling a little bit of the history. The Lord found him in a desert land in the howling waste of the wilderness. He encircled him and cared for him. He kept him as the apple of His eye. When the Most High divided the nations and their inheritance... When he separated the sons of Adam and he began to set the boundaries of all people groups, the children of Israel were very few in numbers, very small. And the Lord chose to make Jacob his inheritance. And Jacob, who was once called the supplanter or a deceiver, the Lord changed his name to Israel. And from Israel came 12 tribes. And from 12 tribes we would find Jesus. 
God took the small, the underdog, Israel, and made them to bring about Messiah. Jacob is laying his head on the rock at a place called Looks. And God saw Jacob laying there on his head on a rock. There was nothing in Jacob where God would spring forth 12 tribes. It was simply God is in control of every single motion in human history. Even before history becomes history, in fact, he is control. He has control of the future. So God took Jacob, entered into covenant with him, provided for him. God guarded his people. He guarded his people like they were the pupil in his own eye. Your Bible might say the apple of his eye. He guarded it like the very pupil. Guarded his people. This shows us what God does for his people. It expresses to us that God will afflict his people if need be. And we, we might call this today the spiritual woodshed. Remember going to the woodshed and getting a spanking from mom or dad? Right, we would say, and sometimes God would have to chasten his people. He would afflict them with, as he guides them, as he preserves them. But then the song takes an immediate different turn in its imagery. We've seen that God is a rock of our salvation. He is like water, refreshing to the soul. And then the Bible says he is like an eagle that stirs up its nest, that flutters over its young, separating or spreading out its wings, catching them, bearing them on its pinions, or the little pieces in its feathers. The Lord alone guided him. No foreign gods were with him at all. The imagery here changes to an eagle. I don't know about you, but have you ever seen an eagle hunt or fly in the wild? I know, I know uh, here the past few years I've been seeing some uh, eagles around in our, our community. In fact, we would go fishing sometimes and we would see two eagles, a male and a female, and a big old nest. They would fly to and fro. And, uh, and one time one of them scooped down and caught a, a, got a trout in its talons. And I'm like, man, he, he's doing better than we are today. Majestic. There's a sense of majesty and splendor to it. Moses gives this picture of the eagle fluttering over its young. God fluttering over its young, protecting them. But then also to excite them to fly themselves. As the eagle stretched out its wings to protect them, he carries them away. So did God carry his people. He brought them to the very borders of the promised land. They took their flight like eagles in its swiftness. But not only did God teach them, but he also bore their burdens and cared for them. Now, in your Bible, this word is translated uh, eagle. Some scholars denote that this eagle is more likely the bird that is called the Rakanah bird. This bird is actually known to bear its young on its back when they are weary. It's translated eagle in the English, but regardless of the, the word the imagery, the imagery is great here because God is like the eagle who watches over his people, teaches them. He lifts them up when they are heavy burdened, all while trying to teach them. Listen here. All while trying to teach them how to survive in this broken and fallen world. 
And then God continued to demonstrate his greatness. He made him to rise high in high places. He ate the produce of the, the field. He suckled honey from the rock and oil from the flinty rock and curds from the herb and milk from the flock, the fat of the lambs and the goats, the very fine of wheat. You drank foam wine from the blood of the grape, the very finest thing. It is a picture, a foretaste of a land flowing with milk and honey. He gave them their needs over and over again, and yet they fell back in the same way of sin and idolatry. Jeshurun, he says, grew fat, another name for Israel, and kicked they grew fat, they grew stout and sleek. They forsook God, who is the rock of their salvation. They stirred him to jealousy with strange gods and abominations. They provoked him to anger. They sacrificed to demons that there were no gods. There were no breath in these idols that they sacrificed to. Some that they had never known. Some that their forefathers had never known. New gods to them who had come up recently, who their forefathers who had never known. In fact, the word that is used, you see this in verse 15, is the word Jeshurun or Yeshurun, which means upright. It means upright. And so this is a teaching tool. It's like calling a tall guy tiny. We look at him and say, no, he's not tiny. You know, It's a teaching tool. Because Jeshurun here is not upright at all. It's to show how they were exactly the opposite. How Israel is broken and sinful. They grew fat, they kicked like a little snot-nosed brat. When their needs were being met, they grew cold against God who brought them from bondage. Have you ever been there? When everything seemed to be going well, we forget the God who supplied our very foundation of salvation. They made him angry by chasing other things, idols, and they prodded him to enact his judgment on them. Instead of offering to Yahweh, they chased meaningless demons and foreign gods they never knew before who had no breath in them. When God seemed to be distant, they chased other things. But the thing is, God has never been distant from his people. He wasn't distant then and he isn't distant now. Certainly not now as we have the indwelt Holy Spirit. So far, Moses has displayed a few things about the character and nature of God. Is he worthy of our worship? And we resounded with a hearty amen. Yes, he is. And there are wonderful attributes that are seen in this song. God speaks, and his word is like a fresh rain on dry soil. He is the rock of our salvation. He is the rock of solitude. He does not change. He is flawless. He is perfect in all of his ways. He is our provision. He is our strength. He teaches us. He sends us out in the world. He sends us to go into the world. He is a jealous God, and he wants our worship. And then there's a the parallel. The parallel listed in this song, where human nature reveals itself. Contrary to God's holiness, humankind chase idols, neglect the things of God, spurn God to anger, try to hide his face from God, Almighty. He says, you were unmindful of the rock that bore you. You forgot the God who gave you birth. The Lord saw it and he spurned them because of the provocation of his sons and daughters. And he said, I will hide my face from them. I will see what their end will be for they are a perverse generation. Children in whom there is no faithfulness. They have made me jealous with 
What is no God, no breath in them? They have provoked me to anger with their idols, so I will make them jealous with those who are no people. The Gentile. I will provoke them to anger with a foolish nation. For fire is kindled by my anger, and it burns to the depths of Sheol. Devours the earth in its increase, and set fire on the foundation of the mountains. And I will heap disasters on them. I will spend my arrows on them. And they will be a waste, and will be hungered, and devoured by plagues, and poisonous pestilence. I will send the teeth of beasts against them, with the venomous things that crawl in the, in the dust outdoor. The sword will bereave and indoor terror for young men and women alike, and the nursing child with the man of gray hairs. Amen. What a beautiful picture that is, isn't it? Not necessarily beautiful, is it? It's not a pretty picture. It's forecasting. If you want to chase other gods and other idols, do so. But at your own peril. It's not a pretty picture. It's not a pretty picture for Israel's future. And so we say, praise God for Jesus. Where the wages of sin is this. God gave us eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. There are wonderful attributes seen in this song. God speaks. His word is refreshing. He is the rock of our salvation. He is flawless and perfect in all his ways. And we see these attributes in King Jesus. He has provided salvation. He has provided a way for us to grow in our faith and knowledge in him. He teaches us by his word and his Holy Spirit. He teaches us and he sends us to go into a world that is like I, I just read. He teaches us and sends us to go and make disciples. I'm going to close on this. He is a jealous God, and he wants your worship. Amen? Amen. We're going to transition into a time of communion. Maybe this is a time for you to meet business with God. And you can thank me after the service that I read, read 20, verses 26 through 52. We'll come back to that next week. Let's do that. I'll ask you if you will. You've heard God's word. Maybe your soul, spirit is needing refreshing. And the Lord wants to meet your need today. Maybe you're here and you don't know Christ. And you want to make a profession of faith and then you want to stir the baptismal waters that are still twirling behind us. Maybe that's you today. I want to trust Jesus. And then I want to be baptized. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you're here maybe you say, I want to join the church. And to join the church means you must first believe in Jesus. 